0: If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to the book of Jude. Our time together this morning will be greatly helped by you following along in a copy of God's Word, the Bible, and if you did not bring a copy with you, we should have a copy underneath the seat in front of you or near you, and if you don't have a copy that you can call your own, we would love for you to take one of those home. Please consider that a gift from our church to you today. If you're not very familiar with the Bible, the book of Jude can be found on page 1027 of the Pew Bible, uh, in that seat in front of you or near you. It's a small book, a little more obscure. It's between 3 John and Revelation. And if you don't know where either of those are, just go to the very end of the Bible, move left, and then you'll get to the book of Jude. But it's small, so don't pass over it very quickly. It's one of the general epistles, uh, as you think of the New Testament. You have four gospels, you have a history book in Acts, you have 13 Pauline epistles. Then you have eight general epistles, and then you have what we call the book of Revelation, the Apocalypse. It's one of the general epistles here. We're going to begin reading in Jude 1, verse 1 in just a few moments. Uh, As we turn there, just first I want to say this is a different kind of sermon. Uh, It's a sermon where we are studying Jude, and I'm going to try to bring truth out of Jude, but I'm also going to make some applications specifically to Eugene today as we think of these false teachers that are highlighted here in the book of Jude that we will be studying about. Not because Eugene is a false teacher. Uh, Eugene would not have been hired if he was a false teacher. So he would not have made it through the internship if he was a false teacher. But as a way to exhort and encourage Eugene right where we are in the passage of Scripture that we're in today. And I think as you listen today, I want you to listen by way of analogy for application for you as members. That you might have ears to hear what is false. What makes false teachers so dangerous is that we don't practice skills of discernment to hear what is truly false. And as a result of that, we're swept away. So as we're exhorting Eugene from this example, this negative example, listen for what is true so that as we identify and raise up elders, as we set apart people for gospel ministry, as we pray for other faithful and like-minded churches as we regularly do on Sunday mornings, That you might have ears to hear and eyes to see what is true and good and faithful. And that is important for us as members of a local church, that we might be able to apply the gospel in this way. And also as you turn there, if you were with us last week, you'll remember that Jude, though a small and obscure book, is one of the relevant books in the New Testament teaching us that it's not simply errant teaching that is a problem, where people come in and say all the wrong and false things about God. But Jude also highlights that immoral living has dire consequences. It's not simply what we profess to believe, but how we live that is the most reliable indicator of what we actually believe. That prepared us to address the false teaching of these false teachers in Jude that he homes in on in verses 5 through 16 today. Dangerous opponents who are actually disrupting the church, claiming Christians are free to do whatever they wish and reject authority. Jude writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he speaks to us with the same authority as if Jesus Christ himself were here speaking to us today. Look with me in Jude chapter 1, verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people. If you're the type of person who likes to underline in your Bible, I just want you to underline all of the references to ungodly today. Ungodly people. people. Who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Reject authority and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain... And abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by the winds. Fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These are grumblers, malcontents following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, "In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, whom we know as Father through our Lord Jesus Christ, we ask that you would help us now as we turn our attention to your word. We ask, Father, that you would help us to focus our attention on your word, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see the truth of the gospel as it has been decisively revealed in the word of God. We pray, Father, that as we listen, that you would give us ears to be discerning about what is true and what is false, that you would have a, give us eyes to see so that we might raise up and set apart people who are godly and that we might encourage and identify true and faithful teachers of your word. Father, we pray that you would protect us from error. As we read Jude, may we not be so arrogant as to think that this could never happen to us, that we would be so easily deceived or allow people to creep in unnoticed. We pray, Father, that you would protect this church, that you would protect your church here in this local community, represented in this body, and in all surrounding communities around the world, that your gospel might be preached faithfully. And we ask all of this, In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In his book, Caught in the Pulpit, Leaving Belief Behind, Daniel Dennett describes Bill Clinton's Don't Ask, Don't Tell as, quote, a godsend to what he calls, quote, the non-believing religious community to protect them from being put on the spot or forced to confess what they really believe and how they really live even when they are being interviewed by a church search committee to be a new pastor. From the first century to the 21st century, the need to fit in has loomed large in church settings. We want to come in, and we don't want anybody to press in on our beliefs. And confrontation has been from the first century to the 21st century, both frowned upon and avoided at all costs to the detriment of the church. But the idea of going along to get along isn't something that Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, believed in, as evidenced by his going completely scorched earth on false teachers who have crept in unnoticed in verses 5 through 16 of his letter to teach us that just as God's people will be kept by Jesus for glory, so God's enemies will be kept by Jesus for judgment, that we may flee from false teachers Because of what they did, because of what they do, and because of what will be done to them. Notice first, because of what they did. They boldly disregarded God. Look again in verse 5 through 7 with me. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Rather than going tit for tat with the false teachers who have crept in unnoticed trying to make sure that he corrects their beliefs one after another. Jude verse five reminds these Christians of what they once fully knew or that they know all things once for all as Jude actually forges this link between verse four and verse five and forges a link between them knowing all things once for all and verse four, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Jude was not reminding these believers that they somehow had comprehensive knowledge, but that they truly know the gospel in contrast to the false opponents that he is now criticizing and will begin to critique. Opponents who were, verse 4, long ago designated for this condemnation. To equip the church to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Jude does not just simply give them a list of bullet points. To equip the church to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints against false teachers. The very first thing that Jude does is remind them of the gospel message that they already knew. The gospel message that was preached to them when they first believed. The gospel message that we studied about last week that he's written to us about in the opening verses. We see in verse 1, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, kept for Jesus Christ people who have been called out of darkness into light, people who were alienated and hostile in mind and doing evil deeds, who have been brought out of darkness and are now holy, blameless and above reproach, people who are dearly loved by God because God in his great mercy sent his son to substitute himself for them that they might know mercy people who are now being kept and preserved by God the Father through Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit for the age to come, reminding them of this gospel, what they need to know is not simply a list of facts, but what they need to be reminded of is the gospel that brought them to saving faith and the gospel that keeps them in saving faith. Friends, this is the gospel message. It never changes, and it is the message that we preach each and every week here. Is the gospel message that we remind you of because it is the gospel that saves you. It is the gospel that keeps you saved. Friends, Judas, he prepares the church to discern false teachers and to resist them. He reminds them of this gospel message. Believe afresh the gospel. And friend, if you're here and you are not a believer, you're not a Christian, hear the gospel message afresh. God sent his son to live the life that you could never live to die the death that you deserve to die and substituted him in your place so that he might bear all of the shame that you deserve to bear, to bear all of the judgment that you deserve to bear so that in substituting himself for you, you might be forgiven of your sins and his righteousness might be given to you so that you might know the joy of everlasting life, the forgiveness of sins and all of the benefits of what it means to know Jesus Christ our Lord by faith. And friends, you can participate in that gospel today through a very astonishing and simple message, if you would turn away from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins. If you're here and you would like to learn more about that message, we are so glad that you, are came, that you have come. There will be pastors, they are the guys who are in suits today, standing at different doorways. They would love to speak with you and talk with you about the gospel of Jesus Christ and open the Bible with you, that you might turn to Christ and trust in him alone. But believers in the room, This wasn't written primarily to unbelievers. It was written to people like you and me to prepare us to resist false teaching. And Jude writes to them, and this reminder is not superfluous. It was a reminder that was needed so that they could experience afresh the power of the gospel so that they would not forget the truth that they had already embraced. Eugene, learn from Jude. Learn from Jude today. Remind people of the gospel that they have already believed. Remind people of the gospel that they have already believed to stir up their affections to be faithful. Remind people of the gospel that they have already believed to prepare them and to equip them to resist false teaching. Remind people of the gospel that they have already believed when they are suffering and they believe that somehow that gospel is no longer true. Remind people of the gospel that they have already believed when all of a sudden the sin that they thought that would never entangle them is entangling them and ruining their marriages and destroying their children and ruining their friendships and ruining the fellow members of their own local church. Remind them of the gospel. If you give them nothing, give them the gospel and remind them of the gospel that Jesus Christ came, that Jesus Christ died for them, that Jesus Christ rose for them, that Jesus Christ has forgiven them, that Jesus Christ will forgive them again. Remind them of the gospel. Remind them every week. Remind them in every sermon. Remind them in every counseling situation. Remind them of the beauty of the gospel and that the gospel never gets old and that they never graduate from the gospel. Remind them of the gospel. Reminding them of that gospel. will build them up in the faith once for all delivered to the saints. It will help you point them to the one truth and it will encourage your elders as you serve alongside them to build up the members there at Bethel Baptist Church. Remind them of the gospel. Don't be faddish and look for new things to stir their affections. Fads come and fads go. There are always new ideas about what you'll need to do to encourage people. Remind them of the gospel. Anchor yourself in the well-worn path of the gospel as Jude teaches. The theme of remembrance is important to Jude. It's important, so important that we'll actually see it again. And perhaps you saw it as you were reading carefully with me at the beginning, verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the prediction of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. But for now we see that Jude wants us to remember the gospel and learn that just as God's people will be kept by Jesus for glory, so God's enemies will be kept by Jesus for judgment. Enemies who were, verse verse 4, long ago, Designated for this condemnation. And are, verse 6, kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness. Because they are, verse 13, those whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Designated. Kept. Reserved. Sly as they are, they try to come in and to cause strife and to stir up division. But Jude warns, Them and he speaks to the believers, they are doomed. They might creep in, but they are doomed. They might stir up division, but they are doomed. They might wreak havoc on a local body, but they are doomed. You do not need to fear them when you do not yet see them or know them because you know the outcome for them is judgment. And that condemnation actually helps these Christians persevere and to keep contending for the faith by remembering the outcome of those who stand in opposition to the faith once for all delivered to the saints. They do not need to fear them. They need to fear God and they need to know the outcome of these people. Enemies, Jude goes to great lengths to identify. He keeps speaking about them throughout the letter. Verse 4, certain people. Verse 8, these people. Verse 10, these people. Verse 12, these people. Verse 16, these people. Verse 19, these people. These people are identified and described like those delivered from Egypt, but destroyed in the wilderness. Verse 5. Like angels who abandon their position but are now kept in chains, verse 6. As those who participate in sexual sin but will burn in the fire, verse 7. The main point Jude is making is clear. No person in the believing community can presume upon God's grace. Thinking that somehow an initial decision to follow Christ ensures their future salvation regardless of how they respond to false teachers regardless of their obedience. Jude tells us that there are people who were delivered but destroyed, who were angels but are kept in chains, who participated in sexual sin and will burn in the fire. Israel's apostasy and the apostasy of these people is a warning to all those who think that an initial commitment secures a future destiny without ongoing obedience. Because these people were destroyed and judged. Believers, let me ask you, do you presume upon the grace of God? And somehow think that because you're a member at Christ Church Westchester, your sin will be taken care of. That because you were baptized, as Clara was last week, that your sin's okay with God. Or that because you've made an initial decision and you remember riding in the vehicle with your parents and praying down the road, that all of a sudden you're going to be okay for all of the future even if you walk away from Christ. The warning then is the same now. There is no hope of future security and life of the Lord for people who follow false teaching regardless of how they live their life. Jude is making it very plain ongoing obedience is required of God's people. They must contend and they must persevere and they must continue to persevere even as God keeps them. God keeping them does not give them license to sin. God keeping them does not give them a pass on sin. The certainty of God's salvation of Christ does not baptize their sin and mean their sin is forgiven. They must throw it off and persevere in the faith. Believers, are you persevering and working hard at it? Working hard at putting sin to death in your life. Working working hard at throwing it off so that you might be faithful in all things. Those who are God's people demonstrate the genuineness of their salvation by not only responding to the gospel but by responding to warnings like this in Scripture. Warnings that are one of God's means that God uses to preserve His people to the end. Wake up! If you're here and you're trifling with sin... You are in a very dangerous place. Nobody manages sin. Sin manages people. And it deceives us. It makes us think it's not that bad. And God, He loves me. He'll forgive me. He's a forgiving God. He is a forgiving God. But Jude tells us that He is also a God who judges, and He judges sinners who sin unrepentantly. Do not trifle with your sin. Warnings that remind God's people of those who were destroyed because they did not believe and persist in belief like those in Numbers 14 and Exodus 32. Warnings that remind of those who left their proper dwelling like the angels in Genesis chapter 6 verses 1 through 4 to have sexual relations with humans thinking something false that reminds of those who indulged in sexual immorality like those in Genesis 19 who committed the sin of homosexuality and in pride disregarded hospitality for the poor. And Jude tells us, if God judges these people, what makes you or any of us or anyone think that we will get away with it? When these were judged, you will be judged. And as these false teachers will be judged, so you will be judged. Jude reminds them of how God brought his people out of Egypt but destroyed a generation in the desert because they did not persist. And his point is clear. No believing person can presume upon God's grace. They must persevere or they will be destroyed. And Jude speaks of the fallen angels from Genesis 6. Angels that had these relations with the daughters of men and were kept in Tartarus in chains of judgment. Reminding that even those in high authority are judged if they forsake the path of righteousness. Eugene, serving in a position of ministry, even at the highest level of authority, will not protect you from God's judgment if you are unfaithful. So be faithful. Ministry is not a pass on sin, ministry is a call to be faithful as you call other people to be faithful. And he brings up Sodom and Gomorrah, which also indulged in sexual immorality and were judged reminding us that God's judgment on those who forsake his way is certain. His track record is clear and plain. These examples in Jude teach us that the wicked will not get away with it. The Bible tells us they will not get away with it. History tells us they will not get away with it. And friends, you and I will not get away with it. These examples help us persevere in contending for the faith when we remember the outcome of their way of life. They were judged. But I wonder if you noticed, too, they were judged by... Look with me again in verses 5 through 7. Now I want to remind you, although although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chain, chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Jesus is the Savior of the world. And Jude teaches us. Jesus is the judge of the world. John chapter 5, verse 22. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son that all might honor the son just as they honor the father in John 5 verse 26 for as the father has life in himself so he has granted the son to have life in himself and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man jude gives these his historical examples of god's judgment to teach us that jesus is the savior And Jesus is the judge. And just as God's people will be kept by Jesus for glory and salvation, so God's enemies will be kept by Jesus for judgment forever. That we may flee from false teachers because of what they did. Notice second, because of what they do, they boldly sin. Look at verses 8 through 13 with me. Yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds, swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Jude is not content to simply tell us what the false teachers did, so he begins to describe in these verses what they do, verse 8 in particular. Yet in like manner, these people also relying on their own dreams, defile the flesh, Reject authority and blaspheme the glorious ones. The false teachers defile the flesh through their own sexual tolerance, their own subjective experience rather than God's revelation, or as one preacher said, they relied on dreamology rather than theology. They are those who say, judge not, why does it matter how I live my life? Who are you to tell me that this is wrong? That was then, this is now. Things were different in the ancient world than they are in the 21st century. They are those who reject authority that confronts them for their sin. The very authorities that God has established in his church, church made visible in the local church. And in rejecting that authority, they reject God's authority. It's not simply that they stand against the local church or the elders of the church, but in standing against the elders of the church and the local church, they stand in opposition to God. Brothers and sisters, fellow members of Christ Church, we must remember that the threat did not come from the outside in Jude. It came from those who have crept inside. And that should teach us, even as we set apart a minister of the gospel, to take our members' meetings very seriously and not simply as a way to fill up your calendars, but taking very seriously who we let into the membership of this local church and taking very seriously who we vote to receive as elders of this local church. And taking very seriously who we receive in the diaconate and servants of this local church. And taking very seriously our responsibility to discipline people for their sin in the context of the local church. Because it depends on the members of this church to protect this church and Christ's witness through this church and this local community. And because if we don't, The way of truth is blasphemed by such people as they, verse 8, blaspheme the glorious ones. What does that mean? If I'm honest, it's unclear and people debate it left and right, but I know that verse 9 helps. So let's look at it again. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. They are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. By quoting from an extra-canonical work, The Testament of Moses or The Assumption of Moses, a work that was actually well-known in the time, Jude gives some insight into what he means as he recounts a contrasting picture. A contrasting picture of the archangel Michael in contrast to the false teachers who abuse authority. And Jude shows us that Michael... Did not even presume to rebuke the devil, even though he had the authority to do so. Instead, he said, the Lord rebuke you. Because he was aware that only God has the authority to condemn and to judge. Michael understood that the prerogative was God's and God's alone. Something these false teachers who seek their own blessing did not. Verse 11, woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain And abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. All people who presumed that they knew the right way. They're like Cain, Balaam, and Korah. Old Testament false teachers who sought their own blessing. Eugene, do not use ministry as a blessing for yourself. You are to serve. The call to ministry is a call to serve. The congregation is not there to serve you or to bless you. You are there to serve the congregation and to bless the congregation, sometimes at great cost to yourself. Cain, whose choice was wickedness over good. Balaam, who hired himself out for the sake of money and later for the moral entrapment of God's people. Korah, who led an attack on Moses, God's servant, so that he might jockey for position and gain advantage. False teachers are like this. And Eugene, bad ministers are like this. They seek their own good. They look for their own money. They entrap God's people. They seek their own advantage. Never leverage ministry like this. Because false teachers are like this. And yet they still have only been described in brief by Jude. They are false and they are wicked. But Jude continues to fill out the description with an abundance of allusions and metaphors to make his point, verses 12 through 13. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. They're hidden reefs, destroying people who come too close. Just as a ship that doesn't realize that there's a reef underneath will have its bottom completely ripped out from underneath it, they lurk just underneath the surface, and at the right moment, they destroy. They're waterless clouds. They promise blessing, but they never give it. They're fruitless trees. They look good, and the tree might even be big, and they might have a lot to show for it. But they never bear fruit, keeping with repentance. They're wild waves of the sea that are impressive to watch and destroy and dash everybody that comes close. They're wandering stars that provide light that lead people astray into destruction. And Jude tells us all of this so that we might remember that just as God's people are kept by Jesus for glory, so God's enemies will be kept by Jesus for judgment. That we might learn to flee from false teachers because of what they did, because of what they do, and because of what will be done to them. They will experience God's judgment. Look with me again in verses 14 and 15. It was about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute... Judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. Jude once again quotes another extra-canonical work, not saying that this is the same as Scripture, but another well-known work of the time to make another point that the false teachers are destined for judgment. They're destined for judgment on the day that Christ returns. They will not get away with it, which is why he mentions how ungodly they are multiple times in these verses to emphasize that they will be judged for what they rightly deserve. It was about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied. Behold, the Lord comes. He will come with 10,000 of his holy ones to do what? To execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These are not otherwise well-intentioned ministers who somehow just did not finish well. They will be judged for ungodliness that destroys God's church. And they will be judged fiercely for it. They will be judged because they have been ungodly and they have led people into ungodliness. Jude declares woes upon false teachers to never trifle with God's church. Condemnation and description is rampant through this this section, letting us know that these people will get what they rightly deserve. Enoch prophesied about teachers who would be destroyed by the Lord when he comes with his army. So Jesus will come bearing the sword as we read at the end of the book of Revelation. And he will judge all who deny his truth. And he will judge all who stand in opposition to him. And how will they deny his truth? Verse 16. These are grumblers. Notice the types of sins that he uses to characterize them. Once again, it's not very flamboyant, obvious sin. But it's the type of thing that we might say, it's not that bad. They're grumblers. They're malcontents. They're following their own sinful desires. They're loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Not what we would expect to be the worst of all possible lists, but a list that teaches us that just like the people in the Exodus generation who grumbled and were discontent and followed their own passions, they were boasting, they were showing favoritism to gain advantage like Korah and others. So these teachers, they grumbled. They're discontent. They follow their own desires. They use what has been entrusted to them to lead other people astray. Jude describes the false teachers with more descriptions confirming their judgment. Eugene, it will be easy to grumble in ministry because you're going to have to minister to people. And sometimes people are difficult. And it will be easy to be be discontent with what the Lord has entrusted because it won't always work out the way that you intend it to. Or plan for it too. And it will be easy to take credit and to boast and to think that somehow when you did something that worked out the way that you intended it to, that it was because of your ingenuity or fervor or good preaching or because of the Lord's special blessing to you. It will be easy to show favoritism, to gain advantage, and leverage people in the context of the congregation. But know this, Eugene sin is always followed by more sin. And a little sin here, and a little sin there. Will always lead to a little more sin here, a little more sin there, and it will be like a pollution that seeps into every corner of your life. It will be a disease that eats everything up in your life. It will ruin every single person around you until you are completely distorted and can no longer see what you actually are. Flee. Flee. And confess sin boldly to your pastor and your fellow elders who will serve, at the, uh, the fellow elders that will serve at that church. The church... As we think of this, I could be wrong, but I want to think that these false teachers probably did not wake, wake up one day and say, "You know what? I really want to be ungodly and deceive all of God's people." It was a slow fade, a slow fade, one sin that led to another that didn't seem that bad, to something that didn't seem that bad, that numbed them to the point that they were sinning in ways that they never thought that they would sin in their right mind. Eugene, it could be a slow fade. But congregation, you can be easily deceived by a slow fade. It's not that bad. It doesn't really need to be addressed. As we think of the slow fade, let me ask you: If the enemy were going to use one sin to take you out, what sin would it be, and how would he do it? To get you on the path of a slow fade? You become numb to that very sin. And no longer see it as the sin that it actually is, and no longer turn away from it like you should. And how would he put you on a path so that, like these people, you're in a point of no return? Jude tells us that God will judge them for creeping in and wreaking havoc as they go after weak members. And who are the weak members? Often new believers, often young and new members often people who are on the fringe of the congregation and disconnected, the weak believers who don't have accountability and aren't regularly investing in the church and aren't invested, therefore, by the church. Friends, part of the reason that we call you to serve is not simply so that you can do things for us that we'd rather not do, but so that you might build gospel friendships with other people who might protect you from sin. And if you are isolated and don't have close friendships, you are in the worst of all possible spaces. Because the only authority in your life is you. And the only person who can hold you accountable is you. And the only person who can call you out of darkness to light is you. One of the blessings and gifts that God gives to his people is membership in the church to protect them from themselves. Friends, if you're here, we don't simply have classes so that we can have larger role of attendance and membership. We have classes because we believe that God has put a moral obligation on you to join his church in covenant membership, not only that you might be held accountable, but that you might do the good work of holding other people accountable in the context of the church so that you might fight for the faith in a world of unbelievers and those who are faithless around you so that you might remember that just as God's people will be kept by Jesus for glory, so God's enemies will be kept by Jesus for judgment. A Final few applications for Eugene in particular. Eugene, as I said to Stephen, I want to say to you afresh, do not despise the day of small beginnings. The small tasks, the menial tasks, the tasks that don't seem to be super great, those are the tasks, the very one that the Lord is using in your life to prepare you to serve His church faithfully. Do not despise the day of small beginnings. Do not forsake the small tasks, but be faithful. And I want to exhort you from the care of souls What you might consider mundane, routine, is the very heart of your calling to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ and to administer His life-giving ordinances to the church. Preaching, communing may be ordinary and God-ordained, but they are never dull. Though these sacred acts are normal, God gives His Holy Spirit through these works of faith when and where it pleases Him to those who hear the gospel. Week after week, day after day, these seemingly ordinary tasks are the extraordinarily rich in their impact. Sinners are forgiven, saints are restored, lives are enriched, and hearts are consoled. Fourth, steady, my friend. The burden may seem overwhelming and the labor unbearably hard and long, but in the Lord your labor is never in vain. You have His word and His promise. He will see you safely through. Fifth, nothing is more important for a pastor or a minister of the gospel than to teach people how to pray. Because that will be the time that you feel that you're wasting your time because it seems like you're not getting anything done. But pray. Pray a lot and teach people to pray and be faithful in prayer. Friends, these are the kinds of shepherds that you want for your church the kind who are faithful, the kind who persist in faithfulness, the kind who call out sin for what it is and wrongdoing for what it is. And if you're here today and you're one of those who are persisting in sin and hiding it in your life, we as a church call you to come to the light today. There has never been a better day in your life than to come, to come and to receive the mercy of God that can be yours in Christ. Find us after the service today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we ask that you would help us to remember the gospel, that we would remind one another of the gospel, and through reminding ourselves of the gospel, that we might be better equipped to see false teachers for what they are, not just those who preach false things, but those who live false things, and in so doing, lead your people astray. May we not trifle with sin and may we not trifle with false teachers. Father, may we be people who are equipped to discern truth from error. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Would you stand and continue in worship with us?